0: As I was training, what I was realizing was I was breaking down my body. One, it was just emotionally destructive to get so close in competitions between one and five reps and be forced to set the bells down, irregardless of how hard I tried, irregardless of how disciplined I was in the training. And so what I realized is, although that approach worked and works for many people, for the goal and the way, most importantly, the way that I wanted to reach that goal, I needed a different approach. Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soulfire production. It's June 2011, and my brother Sebastian and I are heading off to St. Petersburg, Russia for a week-long training camp with members of the Russian National Kettlebell Sport Team. Now, up until this point, so much of my life revolved around kettlebell sport, around the archetype of being an athlete. This is what I thought about at every minute of the day. This is where my energy went. This is where my discipline went. And my goal of being the best kettlebell sport lifter has attracted me to some really incredible experiences. And so back in 2011 in June, I want to share with you one of the more memorable experiences, and it's going to give you context into a lot of what we're going to go into in this podcast moving forward, as well as who I am as a person, and hopefully, hopefully, some lessons that you'll be able to take away to make your life even better and more enriching. Today, when we think about it, you know, kettlebells obviously are everywhere, but in 2011, at least... The information coming out of Russia, now kettlebell sport is the national sport of Russia. Some of the, some of you may not know that, but it's a sport that is very entrenched in how they train the Russian military and it's entrenched in their culture. And so back in 2011, there wasn't much information coming to the United States on some of the methodologies, the techniques, their thought process, programming, on how to approach kettlebell lifting and specifically kettlebell sport. Now, my coach at the time, John Wild Buckley of the Orange Kettlebell Club, he'd been traveling to Russia with his business partner, Jason Dolby, and they had been going to Russia countless times and bringing back gems of information for their students. I was one of them. And so I remember John told me about this opportunity, about going to Russia and training with these guys. And he was just telling me, if you can do it, Mike, you have to go. I guarantee you, it will transform you as a lifter. It will transform you as a coach. And that's really all I needed to hear. And so when I talked to my brother about it and just having the opportunity to go on a trip like this with my brother, was something that I was so excited about. So we got prepared. We were looking forward to it for months. And here's the the little lay of the land. We get ready to travel to St. Petersburg, Russia, and we have a stopover in Minnesota. So we're all packed up. We're ready to go. And when we're in the flight, we get Wi-Fi access. And so on the flight, we start getting notifications, one, two, three, from our airlines that our next flight direct to St. Petersburg from there was going to be delayed. And then it was delayed again. And then it was delayed again. So we're not freaking out, but we're pretty frustrated because what that would mean is that we're going to basically miss at least half, potentially the whole first day of this training camp. And there's only about seven days in there. So we're like, damn it. But we roll with it. So we go from Minnesota, we stay the night there. We head off to St. Petersburg, Russia. And immediately when we get there, we realize something's wrong. We're in baggage claim and we're like, where the hell are our luggage? Now, I typically in my luggage, I would bring at the time my belt, my lifting shoes, all my clothes. And in my backpack, I would just typically have my laptop and some books, usually. Now, today, I've learned different. I've learned from that lesson to every time I travel in my backpack, I at least bring one, two, three sets of clothes because you never know what's gonna happen when you travel. And so we get there, there's no luggage. We're like, fuck, okay, well, gotta keep going. You know, we 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 filled out a lost baggage claim form. And we know that there's someone waiting outside for us. We go, let's just go. Let's head outside and let's meet whoever's there for us. Let's get to our hotel. By this time it's night and we're like, we just need some sleep and we need some food because we are starving. Now, when we get out there, we don't know if it's someone from the hotel who's going to pick us up or what. So we're just a little bit anxious. And then all of a sudden we see this bright light, this bright light, this woman approaching us who is kind, who is sweet, who greets us with a smile and her name is Oksana Nikifor. If you don't know who that is, please Google her, type her up on YouTube, and what you're going to see is one of the most remarkable badass, not just females, but badass lifters that have ever lived. She specializes in a sport called kettlebell juggling. Now, if you don't know what that is, imagine acrobatics either individually or sometimes with partners with kettlebells where you're tossing bells, flipping them over your head you're doing you're moving you're you're traversing you're walking forward you're you're flipping them overhead you're turning around re-catching it is an incredible feat of coordination of presence of focus of conditioning and that's who picked us up and we didn't really know that at the time I found that out after as we started the training camp but I knew we were in good hands and so we thought maybe we we're gonna take a taxi I don't know but what we ended up doing was taking multiple bus rides um that let's just say, didn't feel super secure, but because we had Oksana there, there was a level of trust and we're like, let's just roll with it. I know we're gonna be okay. We're two guys with Oksana. We can defend ourselves to some some degree and let's just keep going. So we take this ride that was, uh, again, a little bit more than sketchy and we end up in the hotel in the evening. Now, when we get to the hotel, we've got no clothes whatsoever. The training camp starts the next day and we are starving. So what they did is they organized a ride for us to essentially what would be like a Russian Costco, okay? And one of the funny things that they tell to us when we're we're waiting for our taxi driver is they're like, okay, you guys have 30 minutes. Taxi driver is gonna wait outside the Costco for 30 minutes. If you guys are not in and out grabbing clothes and food in 30 minutes, he's leaving. And what we find out is as we're driving, first off, this guy's going like 80, 90 miles an hour at night. And it was one of the more scary drives we've had, but he was just flooring it. And it it was basically like 30 minutes outside the city center. So we're like, dude, there's no way we want nor can miss this ride back. So we need to be quick, we need to be efficient. We need to get in, we need to get out. So we get into this Russian Costco and our we just beeline it for where we can identify some food. Now, one of the things about being in a foreign country, especially we've never been to Russia before. Now, St. Petersburg is obviously a modernized country. It's actually a beautiful, beautiful city with a rich, rich history. But As we're going to this massive food area, I joke you not, we don't recognize a thing. It's basically one pickled thing after the other from pickled eggs to pickled meats to pickled fish to pickled vegetables. And it's damn near in every single color that you can imagine. It looks like a rainbow. So we're like, man, this looks a little bit sketchy. But then the heavens open up and we find a rotisserie chicken. We find something that we recognize and we're like, game time. Let's go. Let's get that. That's going to be our food for tonight. We'll figure out everything after. After we get the chicken, we head off to find some clothes. Now, even though this is a big store, the clothing selection was pretty limited. Now, we needed everything from socks to underwears to shorts to shirts at least to get us through a day or two of training at least till hopefully our bags arrive. And so as we're there, if you can picture this, the only thing that I could find was essentially like tidy whities mixed with like a porn star type underwear. So I grabbed those. Short shorts. That's all they had, and then the T-shirt that I could find was basically a Russian flag T-shirt. The entire thing, it was red, it was blue, it was white, and I basically looked like a walking Russian flag. So we say, screw it, let's go. This this will be another story that we can chalk up to the trip. We get it. We get back to the hotel, and we just devour every piece of that chicken. And when you when you've been traveling for a long time, and especially if the emotions are high and you're frustrated, having a hot plate of food, especially when it's something that you can recognize in a foreign country that you've never been, it was so tasty and so nourishing. So we're fed, we got some clothes, we hit the sack. And then when we head into the first day of training, now, these are members of the Russian national team running this. And also the participants there were some of the best lifters and coaches from around the world and people who are absolutely instrumental in building the kettlebell sports scene. So we had people like Steve Cotter of the IKFF. We had Ken Blackburn, we had Jeff Martone from CrossFit Kettlebell. We had my coach John Wild Buckley and his business partner Jason Dolby. We had some of the greats and so it was such a cool experience to lift in that type of company and then to also be guided and taught by some of the best Russian lifters of all time. And so we show up on the first day and I have a shaved head like I do right now. And I remember on one of the breaks, uh, some of the participants had had mentioned, like when we walked in, because we walked in a little bit late, they had said, man, we thought you guys were one of the coaches. We thought you guys were Russian. I mean, you're coming in with short shorts and a Russian flag shirt. They must be Russian. No, nope. but then once, once they saw us lift, which is basically at a similar level to them in comparison to leaps and bounds of these Russian coaches, it was pretty evident that we were lifters there. And in the United States, even if we were good lifters, when you lift in Russia, you're basically at the bottom of the totem pole. So we start training. And one of the things that I love loved about that trip was not only did the coaches teach, but they also demonstrated and lifted and did feats of strength all throughout the week. And it was very much a learn by doing camp. Yes, there is theory and methodology, but so much of how I teach today, for example, and how I really see people learning, especially with movement, is they have to learn by doing. There's no way that you'll learn a kettlebell. There's no way that you'll learn, for example, Bulgarian bag, unless you get your hands on the tool and start putting in reps. Hopefully they're intentional reps and you got good coaching, but you have to put in the time, you have to put in the reps, and you have to learn. You have to go through your own battles. And so that's what we were exposed to all week. And one story that I remember that really kind of set the tone is they brought out one of the, he actually wasn't a coach, but he was one of the students of a coach and he was a small guy. He must've been like a hundred pounds. And they asked us a question and he, we, we knew he was one of the, the greater lifters in Russia at the time. So I knew he was legit, right? But they asked us, uh, how many strict military presses do you think he can do? Now, In the professional division in Russia, or I'm sorry, in worldwide, the professional division for men is lifting two 32 kilos, one in each hand, for 10 minutes unbroken. And that's classically in the lift called long cycle, So, which is a clean and a jerk done repetitively. You cannot stop unless you stop with the weight at chest level, which anyone who knows kettlebell lifting, you can get some rest depending on what strategy you use but even just keeping the bells in the rack position is freaking hard. So you can't stop. And they asked us how many strict military presses do you think he can lift? He weighs about hundred pounds from chest to overhead. They're like, man, I don't know, like 30, 40, I don't know, 30, 40, 50. And we also, they did also say that he had the ability before this, they said he had the ability to do 100 jerks unbroken. So I'm like, If this dude can do 100 jerks, he's got to be strong enough to do at least 30, 40, 50 presses, minimum, minimum. And what they said completely shocked me. And it really showed me the place for being a technical lifter, an efficient lifter, and that being the number one thing, especially in kettlebell sport, but I truly believe in any sport, the technical lifter who knows how to conserve their energy, who knows how to get moments of rest, who knows how to keep their mind calm. That is the lifter that typically wins and wins for a long period of time. And so what they said is, how many do we think? And the answer was, he could do actually zero. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. This is insane. This dude can do a hundred jerks, but can't do one press. And I'm sure he's plenty strong, But when you look at the efficiency at which he's able to move and use his legs in the lift and basically propel the bell overhead and cut the weight off when you do an under squat, and really learn how to get moments of energetic rest, even when the bells are overhead, this guy was a pro and I was all ears. I was actually all ears even before going into that. But hearing that story and then witnessing the whole week of coaching, I was like, damn, these dudes are legit and I am here to learn. And also let me preface too, these guys, again, some of the best kettlebell lifter, kettlebell sport lifters in the world, but they're also high-ranking Russian military. So there is this aura of do not fuck with me all around the room. And they were nice for sure. They smiled. Not all of them smiled, actually, but many of them smiled. And uh, we just knew like these guys are in it. These dudes are in it and these dudes mean uh, mean business. So it was an incredible week. And within a few days, one of the coaches, who's one of my favorite lifters and coaches, a guy named Sergei Rachinsky. If you look up on YouTube, look up The Ultimate Girevic, And you might need to type in his name to the best you can, but it'll show up. And what you'll see is Sergei lifting on in a competition and basically... He goes to the point of complete and total exhaustion to the point that towards the end of the set, once they hit the number that they were trying to reach it, I think it was a relay. So it was a multi-person rotation, uh, rotation series of lifts. He ends up collapsing and he's done this multiple times. The bells are over the head over his head. He, he just completely, you just see him just eyes almost go back in his, in the back of his eyes. And he falls and face plants on the ground. The kettlebells go bouncing and flying everywhere. And then a nurse has to come turn him over with his teammates and revive him with smelling salts. That is the mentality of so many of these guys. They even told me that when we hop on the platform, we are willing to die before that time runs out. And so that is the energy of the week. And to do this and have this experience with my brother was one of the more memorable times. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from that trip, yes, was the lifting technique, yes, was the methodology, but it was so much about like the spaces in between the notes. And I really do believe, just like the name of this podcast, life does not happen linearly. Life is this uh, continual experience of zigzags and switchbacks and had i had had sebi and i my bro had the perfect trip and we got there on time and we joined with everyone we wouldn't have had the bonding experience and the stories of losing our luggage and and then also sergey rachinski actually drove with us back to the airport 2 days later and basically just told us to wait in the front walks in the back like he owns the place and then just strolls back with our luggage and we're just like who the hell is this guy we wouldn't have had that experience. We wouldn't have got to meet Oksana in the way that we did. We wouldn't have got that midnight Russian taxi driver that was going 90 miles an hour. And so some of the coolest experiences of that trip for me happened in all of those uncomfortable situations where you just got to roll with it and realize that this is the experience I'm meant to have. For whatever the reason, this is what we're meant to do. And it brought me and Sebi so much closer and it added so much color to that trip and a lot of fondness for it. I mean, when I was in it, it wasn't super fun. Like I, I don't wish to have gone through it again, maybe, but I definitely don't regret it. And I loved I loved looking back in those aspects because it really gave me a lot more appreciation for traveling and for people and gave me insights into their culture. And so I love that part of the trip. Now, at the end of this trip, when I get back, I speak to my coach, John Wild Buckley. And now at the time I was competing with double... 24 kilo bell. So about 50 pounds in each hand. I was competing in long cycle, which is that repetitive clean and jerk. And I told him something. I was like, John, I was super inspired and 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 maybe a little bit over ambitious, but I think that's good too. I go, John, I want to go master of sport. I want to train for that ranking. Now, if you're not familiar, master of sport is essentially, it's like one of the elite rankings that you can get in kettlebell sport, also in in, in other sports as well. And it's like a black belt level. So you have to train, like you can't, I don't know anybody I don't even know if it's possible. I don't, like, I don't want to say I don't know if it's possible, but it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that someone off the street who hasn't trained religiously for this type of sport or this type of event could walk out and just simply, without even thinking about it, achieve master of sports. So I knew it was daunting, but I wanted it. And I wanted to go through the training. And so he goes, okay, this is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. But if you really want it, I'll support you in it. So when we go back and we begin the training, one of the things that was showing up or starting to show up when I was lifting 24 kilos was I would experience um, this, we can call it like arm pump. In my left hand, my forearm would get completely swelled with blood. I would be very painful. I'd lose feeling in my left hand. And irregardless of almost how far I got in the set and how hard I tried, I'd be forced to put the bells down. And that went on for a few years and it was so, so frustrating. But because I would just say of my athletic background, I've had a, I've got a base in powerlifting. I competed in that for 10 years. I was a gymnast as a kid. I did a little Olympic weightlifting in college. And so I was able to get away with being just a very disciplined lifter and also just relying on some talent to compete at a good level with 24s. But anybody who's lifted with kettlebells knows that even a four kilo jump an 8-ish 9-ish pound jump is a massive massive lift for that tool a massive increase and so when you're looking at 24 to 32 that's an 8 kilo jump that's a lot of weight to push especially when you're talking about the amount of volume that you need to get in week by week to incrementally stair step your way into whatever goal that you're trying to achieve now in any ranking in kettlebell sport you've got the bell weight that you're using you've got your body weight um you've got um of course, gender, body weight, and repetitions. So based off of the repetitions, the bell weight that I was using and my body weight, I had to hit somewhere around 50 repetitions in, in competition. And as I was training, what I was realizing was I was breaking down my body more and more and more. And so for me, it was really... One, it was just emotionally destructive. It was really hard to get so close in competitions between one and five reps and be forced to set the bells down, irregardless of how hard I tried, irregardless of how disciplined I was in the training, irregardless of how dialed in my nutrition was, my sleep was. And I was basically how I felt was not acting in integrity with how I view, how I want to view my life how I want to show up for my clients and how I want to show up for people who follow me out there. And so what I realized is although that approach worked and works for many people for the goal and the way, most importantly, the way that I wanted to reach that goal, I needed a different approach. And so I was working with uh, an incredible practitioner that I still work with today. I think we've been working together for like 18 years, Johnny Suarez. He's an upper level check practitioner He's also a licensed Chinese medicine doctor. Uh, He's got a deep background in functional medicine. He basically quarterbacked my journey towards rebuilding myself. Actually, before rebuilding myself, it was about two years of working with him and working with almost nine different practitioners trying to solve this issue. And we did see improvement, but we didn't get full resolution. And I wanted full resolution because I wanted that goal. And I wanted to do so in a healthy way for myself and for all the people that I seek to inspire and connect with and coach. And so at the time, I had been studying the work of Paul Cech since I was about 18. So I was very familiar with his work. I'd taken some of his courses. And at the time, he was still teaching a lot, and he was teaching one of his upper-level holistic lifestyle coaching courses run by the Czech Institute. And so I'm in this course. There's about 40-ish people from all over the world. And at the end of the course, he basically gives us uh, an invitation. Now, during the course, we learn different meditation techniques, Tai Chi, working in. We learn mental-emotional strategies to coach and to work with ourselves if we're experiencing challenges in life. And the invitation was to start a gong practice. Now, a gong practice, at least as it was explained there and and what we were signing up for if we we chose to, was 100 days of 20 minutes a day of unbroken Tai Chi. And the movement we were doing is something called primordial rocking. And so if you committed to 100 days of unbroken, if you got to day 98 and you skipped a day, you got to start back to zero. And if you committed to that, Then you could get in line, and Paul would actually put his signature on the stick that we would use for that meditation called the Tai Chi Ruler. And at the time, there was a huge line of people, and it really wasn't the appropriate time to actually have much of a conversation with Paul because it was so many people there and it was the end of the course. And I know he was tired after teaching for five days nonstop, but I was basically at the end of my rope. I had been, it was so emotionally hard on me, and I was very close to giving up on the sport and giving up on the goal. But I said, you know what? I don't know when I'm going to have this opportunity again. And so I voiced to Paul. I said, you know, Paul, like, thank you so much, obviously, for this experience. I learned a bunch. And I've got this issue, this issue that no one can seem to figure out. And it's really hindering me from reaching my goal. And I'll never forget what he shared with me. And he was one of the first people, especially in the tonality and in the presence and looking at him eye to eye, he was one of the first people that didn't promise me that he could fix me or solve the issue. And he basically told me, he goes, after he felt around and asked me a few questions and he felt my forearm, he's like, you know, I have an idea, but I'd really have to get you on my table to really look through you and look through a bunch of different things to see if we can solve this, but I can't promise you anything. And just that, just that, especially coming from Paul, who if you don't know who Paul Check is... He's one of the OGs of functional fitness. He's done so many things in his life, but he's one of the OGs of functional fitness. He's brought Swiss balls from the rehabilitative environment into the conditioning environment. He solved some of the craziest orthopedic issues out there from Danny Way, who had a broken neck, one of the best skateboarders of all time, Rehabbed him, and I believe within a few weeks, or in one or two, one or two months, or something like that, got him winning a championship. He's coached Laird Hamilton, he coached Kobe Bryant. He was a key part of when uh, the Bulls were in their heyday with Jordan and Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen, helping those guys. So he's done a lot of work in so many different areas, and really, I would say, in my eyes, has really made his career on solving medical failures. Cases that no one could either take on or when people have seen 10 different people and haven't gotten resolution to their issues. He's one of those people that can look underneath the surface at a level that is almost, I hadn't experienced it and haven't experienced it at that level still to this day. And so to hear that from him, I was like, damn, okay, I'm willing to go forward with whatever it takes to to see this thing through. And fast forward two and a half years, I did get resolution of the injury. I did reach Master of Sport, and most importantly for me, I did so in a way that was for me dream affirmative, meaning I was not only able to reach that goal, but I didn't feel broken down after. And for me, what excites me so much, and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, if you have an athletic goal or an achievement, for me, what was was so attractive to a holistic approach to strength, conditioning, performance, and health is that... I'm very interested in, yes, the performance goal, but how am I going to develop as a man? How am I going to develop mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How is this going to make me a better partner, a better son, a better friend all along the way? And so it really takes, if in my opinion, if that is the goal, it really takes a holistic approach. because what I was finding in working with different coaches, then this was one of the harder lessons that I had to learn, is because I always wanted to be the perfect student and do the plan exactly as it was written. And I've had some great coaches, and I have improved a lot over the years in, in different regards. But what I was finding is is I was following these plans so much and so regimented in such in a fixed way that I wasn't really honoring my own inner voice, my own intuition, when things actually weren't really heading in the direction that I wanted, where maybe I was excelling in one area, but once again, I was feeling broken down and tired and emotionally and mentally, I just didn't have the foundations of how to balance my life in ways outside of just what happens on the platform. And so in two and a half years of Paul, of of traveling down almost once a month for one to two days, uh, working with Paul is incredibly comprehensive. And one of the things, as I may have mentioned earlier, one of the things that I loved about working with the coaches in Russia was they they taught by doing. And Paul, in many instances, when we would train or he would watch me train, he would do either his own workout or hop in with elements of mine And I really do believe as people, yes, it's what people say that matter, but it's more important what we observe them do and how we feel when we're around them. And so I learned a ton about programming and program design and lifting mechanics and reducing imbalances and issues that I had no idea were even contributing to the issue in my arm. For example, gut issues and how was the food that I was eating inflaming my gut and actually robbing energy and nutrition from the arm. And so I learned a lot. But to be honest, being in Paul's presence and witnessing how he lives and he lives what he teaches, I can tell you that firsthand, that was one of the most inspiring things to me because that is, I feel like the most powerful teacher there is. And it's not always what they say. It's what we observe them do. And it's how we feel when we're around them and what we soak up. So it was an incredibly nourishing two years and it was hard as shit. I remember some of the trainings where I would go so hard. Like I remember on this, this one deadlift session, almost like 30 minutes with very short rest periods of like, it was like what's called a pyramid. So you increase weight uh, as you go in sets and then you decrease weights, ascending and descending pyramid. And it was like 30 minutes. And I was training with... uh on that day, I was training with one of my childhood friends, Miles, and we're training and my hands get so bloodied up and blistered and stuff like that. And I remember I would wake up at night with my hands just throbbing, just throbbing with the amount of volume and what he was, what, what he was programming. And I remember this one tip that he told me, he was like, and this for any of you guys that have sore hands after lifting, I think you'll really appreciate this because this was huge for me. You take a Dixie cup, fill it with water, freeze it. And then after it's frozen, you cut off the end of it. And so what you have is this beautiful cooling massage tool that you can work into your hands. You can also use it on other joints that feel like there's too much heat there and you want to bring cooling to that area. And that was one of the things that helped get me through a lot of the training. And the training was hard, as I mentioned. And in that way, and this is why I feel like physical training and physical performance in the gym especially, you can learn so much about yourself. Because you get to push yourself in ways that maybe you didn't think were possible. And in that way, you develop your inner resource. You develop your confidence. You develop self-esteem. And from that, you can develop parallels and connections to every other area in life, especially and most importantly, if you have the awareness to do so. And that's why things like the inner work, journaling, uh, reflection time, quiet time, time in silence, time in nature like hikes meaningful, heartfelt conversation with dear friends, friends that you know will be there for you irregardless of what you say and your vulnerability. When you do that, you can learn so much more about yourself and you can make the experience so much more nourishing and enriching. And that's what excites me. When I know that I'm excelling in one area, but I can also see the dial increasing in every other area of my life, that is what I really feel like makes its way into, again, how I teach, how I coach, but also into my training programs. So kettlebell lifestyle, for example, yes, it's a kettlebell program, but the lifestyle aspect for me is 50-50 of the puzzle. So in there, it was very important for me to include things like working in, which is active meditation. Very important for me to educate on basically based off of how you're feeling knowing how to modify your training volume and what you do in the gym to work with how you're feeling on a given day because i remember even when i was training with paul you know one of the amazing things was is we would do a a, a very thorough system of monitoring daily stress in multiple areas from limbic emotional stress to hormonal stress to musculoskeletal system stress and what i learned was is when i would get or experience a relationship challenge with let's say my family at work my heart rate my heart rate variability and all the other markers would go up and my lifting would go down on many days. And so if I wasn't managing myself in an effective way, then I would see other areas start taking the brunt because no matter how good of a lifter you are, no matter how good of an athlete you are, at a fundamental level, we are human. We are humans having a human experience and none of us, none of we may have different maybe different thresholds and we may have different coping uh strategies or Ways of managing stress, and stress can come in any form—not just the physical form. But if you are a human being, you will experience relationship challenge. You know, if you eat something very shitty, you're going to feel it. You know, depending—you know—you might not feel it in that moment, but it's going to—you're going to feel it later down the road. And so, with Paul, uh, it really illuminated me this holistic approach, and that is what is in the programs that I teach—from morning routines to breath work to, of course, lifting techniques to working in um to stretching and how to recover effectively from training so that hopefully you can do so not just now but you can learn the principles and the foundations of building a lifelong health and performance and so you know what i learned just summing it up is that there is no one way to anything there is no one way to the top there is no one way to any goal there is no one path and all it is is about figuring out and trusting that you are on your path and staying courage, staying courageous, and staying curious are two super important things as we go through this life and in this process to continually moving forward. And life is gonna be this mismatch of zigzags. It's not gonna be linear, but the sooner that we can accept that and embrace that the sooner that we can extract the lessons from it and keep moving forward. Because a lot of the people that inspire me most in my life, and I imagine inspire you, are the ones that went through the shit, are the ones that have gone through authentic life experience and took something back and then shared that so that we can all be better and either not make those mistakes again, or not make those mistakes that they make, or if we're presented with that, we learn the inner resource, for example, how to control our breathing. We learn how to reframe some of the negative thoughts in our mind. We learn how diet can influence everything, not just how we live, but how our emotions show up. And so I am so excited to share this podcast with you. This, for me, is a long time coming. This podcast is about, let's just say, five years in the works. You know, I had a lot of negative self-talk around it. Didn't think I was ready. Didn't think I had much to share. Uh, was fearful about being criticized. Was fearful about what people would think with, for me, about me. And then I just realized, especially now coming into fatherhood, uh, me and Lauren are going to have a baby. And by the time this thing drops, about five months from now, it's really brought so much of an authentic reflection and mirror for who am I? How do I want to show up? What are the things I'm scared of? And am I can I be courageous enough to walk through them regardless? And so that's been a big motivation for me doing this to move through my fears, to learn alongside you. That's one thing that I have to say. I am so excited to have you a part of my journey, and bring you people who have had exceptional and wild life paths, who have either been coaches, mentors to me, inspirations to me, who are models for life not happening in a linear way. And oftentimes, I believe it's in uncertainty when we don't know the outcome that is the most formidable thing for our character. And some of the people I'm going to bring on from Anthony Trucks to Yakov Darling Khan um, to, of course, Paul we will be bringing him on. These are all people and many more who who have really developed a level of mastery over themselves in different regards. And for the most part, live a very balanced and harmonious life. And so I'm really hoping that you get gems from this podcast, that you get inspired, educated, and empowered to trust your path, to learn alongside me. From the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being in this with me, for growing alongside me. And I'm very, very, very honored that you're here and that you're listening. And one thing I would love to make a request, if you would be willing, especially as I'm getting this podcast off the ground, any friends, any family, your communities. If you have online communities, please, please share this. It would mean so much. It does help. So once again, thank you so much for listening to the Path Podcast. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep having fun. Keep learning together. Much love, everybody, and wishing you a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.